Welcome to A Rock and a Hard Place, the podcast that explores why minerals matter, their importance to society, and the role they will play in the low-carbon future. I'm your host, Thomas Hale, a graduate student exploring the mineral security nexus at the University of Delaware in the Minerals, Materials, and Society program. Join me as I speak with leading experts in the field of critical minerals to discuss some of the most pressing challenges facing society and learn more about their experience working in this emerging space. Enjoy the episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of A Rock and a Hard Place. I'm your host, Thomas Hale. This week, I'm joined by Dr. Adam Simon, Professor of Energy and Mineral Resources at the University of Michigan. He earned his degrees in geology and geochemistry from the University of Maryland and Stony Brook University and was a postdoctoral fellow at John Hopkins University. His scholarly work focuses on the global flow of energy and mineral resources with an emphasis on the geologic availability of critical metals. Adam has co-authored two textbooks, Mineral Resources, Economics, and the Environment, and Earth Materials, Components of a Diverse Planet, and has published over 60 papers in the field of energy and mineral resources. Great to have you on the podcast, Adam. I'm happy to be here, Thomas. Thanks for inviting me. So I always like to start the podcast learning a little bit more about my guests and the journey that got you into critical minerals. So tell us a little bit about how you started working on this really important topic. So I, I would say two experiences that were pivotal. The first was recognizing as a poli-sci major my first year in college that I had to take a lab science in order to check that distribution requirement off. And I had not liked the science courses I took in high school And I saw a geology class and thought, why not? And I took that class and the guy who taught it, a guy named Dick Grouse at Northern Virginia Community College, Dick just blew my mind. And then I decided this is what I want to major in. And as a senior at the University of Maryland, where I transferred, I knocked on the door of a professor named Philip Candela, who was very much and still continues to be a science philosopher. And he introduced me to critical metals, and the rest is history. That's actually really interesting. I didn't know you went to Northern Virginia Community College. That's where a lot of my colleagues are actually at right now. And it's really interesting how teachers and having that influence really kind of sets the tone for how you go forward in your career. And I think that's really important. I always thought education is valuable to a lot of the people that I know in geology. They didn't really always plan that path, but... They had that one course, that one professor that kind of set them forth in that journey. I agree with you completely. You know, if I had not taken that class, I know I wouldn't be where I am today. So it's one of the things that I've also used to really motivate how I teach, trying to teach courses where I make tangible connections between students and the material. And I find that if you make a tangible connection, then you draw and capture the attention of the students rather than just lecturing at the students engaging in dialogic education conversation is much more effective. Well, I think this kind of ties into this next question because I think this is a really important aspect. So one of the issues that I think is near and dear to both of us is addressing this labor shortage currently in the mining and mineral sector. I mean, we see this across the extractive industry from minerals to aggregates to processing. So what are some of the issues that lie behind this shortage in labor And how can we address some of these challenges? And I think a lot of that comes back to maybe teaching and the education around it, too, as you were just talking about. If you look at the data for undergraduate and graduate geology programs in the United States, what you see in the 90s and the aughts and the teens is a progressive, albeit slow, elimination of what we used to call boots and hammer geology courses. 
And most of the programs in the United States increasingly have focused on environmental science for all the right reasons, trying to understand and quantify climate change so that we can distinguish between natural climate change and anthropogenic or human-caused climate change. And as a result of focusing so much on environmental science and climate change, traditional geology programs effectively disappeared. And you can look at that, for example, my subdiscipline of economic geology. If you go back to the 1950s and 60s and 70s, Every major university in the United States, Harvard, Princeton, Johns Hopkins, Berkeley, UCLA, you name a university, they all had at least one, and many of them had several economic geology professors who taught courses that provided students with the foundational knowledge to then go directly into industry. What I know now from talking with friends and colleagues in industry is they cannot find those students now. We don't teach that traditional curriculum that prepares undergraduate students to enter the workforce in industry. So industry is really scrambling to try and find qualified students. And increasingly, industry is looking at other countries where traditional geology programs are still taught and taught extremely well. So in the United States, that I would describe that as a crisis. Well, I see, especially, you know, like a lot of the programs here in Virginia, anyways, they've removed some of their titles of geoscience programs to environmental science programs, which then if you want to go look for a geology program, it really doesn't show up with their geology classes. And then I know for like, I went to Virginia Tech and did geology classes there and the economic geology course or the one on Virginia mineral resources was no longer being offered because it was a professor and they never really continued that. And then now you have this major boom with investment from USGS and the federal government to get your local surveys to go out and map more about mineral resources in your state. And you don't have any geologists that have any base knowledge about anything about the mineral resources of their state. So they're trying to have to train them over once they get there when they should be training that in college, you know, prepare to go out and learn about those resources in the state. Absolutely. I agree. And I hope that one of the outcomes of President Biden's recent Inflation Reduction Act bill, which is largely a climate change bill to try and mitigate human climate. I really hope that there's an emphasis at the national level by way of funding agencies, the National Science Foundation, Department of Energy, and also university administrators to take a look at the curricula at the undergraduate level and really ask the question, are we preparing undergraduate students to be competitive in the workforce? And honestly, I think in the geosciences, there are a few programs that still do that, but I think the majority do not. And there are a number of reasons one can suggest for that. Among them, universities are not ranked on how effective and impactful their undergraduate curricula are. Universities are ranked based on the success of their graduate research programs. So at all of the top universities in the country, what we consider research intensive universities or R1 schools, each of those schools, a major part of their ranking is how many papers the faculty write, how many grant dollars the faculty get, how many PhD students the faculty mentor. Master students don't count. So it's only PhD students that are factored into the rankings. And as a result, in my opinion, and I don't think I'm alone, undergraduate curricula have suffered because 
there is not a focus for faculty members and administrators on making sure that undergraduates leave our programs competitive for jobs in private industry, whether it's mapping, whether it's environmental consulting, monitoring groundwater wells, doing soil analyses. I think engineering still has good programs because industry requires their students to be trained. But in the geosciences, there's no such requirement. And if the universities don't require it and the rankings agencies don't count it, it falls by the wayside. That's a really good observation. And one of the things that I've also thought was really important is K through 12, because I think there's a lot of people that come into college admissions and undergraduate degrees, and they have a kind of misunderstanding of what mining is or what it means to do geology or what earth science is. And we've been working here in our state on nonprofit work to try to prepare teachers with some better curriculum when they're in K through 12 to talk about what are mineral resources? Why do we care about these things? Why are you teaching students about geology in middle school and high school? Because a lot of people get out of high school, they go to college and they're like, geology, we don't know what that is. And mining is bad, right? And they're almost formed opinions and they're almost, you know, impressionable at that point. So we've always said, you know, K through 12 is another core component because by the time they get to undergraduate, you could be missing some of that to begin with. Yeah. And that is a longstanding challenge for geology and the geosciences that dates back to the 1880s when a prominent geochemist named Frank Wigglesworth Clark, often referred to as F.W. Clark, he was in charge of a committee for the National Academies to essentially determine what science courses should be taught at the high school level in the United States. And his committee, they recommended that biology, chemistry, physics be the sciences for students in high schools who are on what we call the, quote, college track. And despite the fact that he himself was a geoscientist, he did not lobby to include geology. So I think your comment, it fits what we've seen over the last 140 years. Geology is not integrated into the K-12 curriculum, except for some areas in elementary school. For example, in the state of Michigan, students in second grade learn about the water cycle. And in another grade, they learn about the solar system. But it's really piecemeal. And then in middle school and high school, I think earth science is sort of a, an amalgamation of a variety of concepts. It doesn't really fit under the title of geology or geoscience. And you're right. As a result, students graduate from high school and very few of them have an understanding of what it would be to major in geoscience and what are the careers out there and to the detriment of the students because careers in the geosciences are on average higher paying than environmental science careers and the jobs are good. If geosciences were integrated better at the K-12 level and if geoscience were a course taught at the high school level and ultimately, if it were valued as equivalent to physics, chemistry, and biology, then that would go a long way in the future to increasing undergraduate geoscience majors and helping industry fill their jobs. Great points there. And I always like to tell people, too, that geology incorporates all those other sciences, right? I mean, everything should be, you know, integrative. And that, I think when I talk to K through 12 teachers, that always kind of piques their interest because they never think about how they can connect it to economics or physics or chemistry, which is a shame because geology is all those things at the base level. 
So let's go off that historical point that you mentioned. I know you have a deep passion for the history of mining in the extractive sector. So maybe talk to our audience a little bit about some of the key historical events that you think have played a massive role in defining where we're at right now in the extractive sector. And maybe what can history tell us about the challenges that we're facing today? You know, maybe is there something we can look back on and take some insight to kind of look towards the future? I think today there's a critical need for educators, and I say educators broadly, K-12, to and certainly, if not more specifically, university educators in the United States and elsewhere around the world, in both more developed and less developed countries, to recognize and appreciate and begin to help train geoscientists who are desperately needed in the mining industry to make sure that society has available all of the metals that are essential for renewable energy. What we can see over the last century, if we look at the field of climate change, climate change as a science really grew out of economic geology, out of mining geology. In the 1950s and 60s and 70s, with people like Dick Holland, who was at Princeton and then Harvard, They tried to understand how these massive ore deposits called banded iron formations form, and that led them to ultimately deduce that the level of oxygen in the atmosphere and the oceans has varied throughout geologic time, essentially creating the field of climate change. Fast forward to today, we've spent so much effort understanding Earth's climate, how it changes naturally, how humans can cause climate change. And now we're, we're at the point in time where we know that we need to essentially eliminate our dependence on fossil fuels and transition completely to renewable energy resources. The challenge with that is right now we have a supply shortage for every metal that we need to build renewable energy. So, for example, when we talk about battery electric vehicles, it's not only lithium. There are a number of other metals that are required for battery electric vehicles. We need graphite, which provides carbon. We need cobalt. We need nickel. We need aluminum. And if you look at the metals that we use to build, manufacture photovoltaic solar panels, the metals that we use to build wind turbines, all of the copper that's required in order to generate electricity and move that electricity out onto the grid where it can be used by society, for every metal necessary for the energy transition by the year 2030, there's a supply shortage. So that's give or take seven years is a supply shortage. And industry, broadly speaking, the mining industry is focused on finding new mineral deposits to satisfy the forecasted demand. What the mining industry, I think, really needs is the support of the Biden administration. They need the support of the EU and governments elsewhere, Australia, New Zealand, Canada, They need government support to, make sure I say this correctly, to help change the mindset of society where we have a majority of people, for example, in the United States who favor increasing the renewable energy infrastructure around the country. But in order to do that, we have to mine. And when we mine That is immediately a word that triggers in most people something negative. So, for example, if you find a group of people in Colorado or California or Michigan 
or Alabama, and you propose a new mine infrastructure, what we have today is significant opposition to that new mine infrastructure. And a lot of it falls under the category NIMBY, not in my backyard. But those metals have to be mined. So I think what we really need is a directive from the top. This is something I would love to see come out of the Biden administration, that the Biden administration is supportive of the mining industry domestically and internationally. And among the things that the administration can do is reduce the amount of red tape that is required to permit new mine infrastructure and not sacrificing the environmental issues. We certainly want mining companies to do environmental impact assessments. We want mining companies to post bonds in case there is a negative impact on the ecosystem. But right now, the average length of time that it takes a mining company from when they discover, let's say, a copper deposit until they physically mine copper from that deposit, the average length of time is about 15 years. So if we look at the IPCC recommendations where for the United States, we have to, by 2030, we have to cut our emissions by 50% relative to 2006. And by 2050, our carbon emissions industry-wide have to be zero. We need a significant increase in the budgets for mining exploration, and we need to significantly reduce the time that it takes mining companies to get permits to build new mine infrastructure. I think all of these major challenges where we want X, Y, Z, but we're being met up with the realities are going to make it very difficult for the future. But thank you, Adam, for this part one. We'll continue our conversation on the next episode. So this wraps up part one of my conversation with Adam. Join us next time as we discuss his research, contemporary political issues threatening the mineral and mining sector, and future trends Adam sees in the industry as new calls for domestic investment in minerals become his focus point for Washington, D.C. Thank you for joining us on another episode of A Rock and a Hard Place. Be sure to follow me on LinkedIn and check out our website, Mineral Choices, for more content. If you would like to be a guest on our podcast or contribute to our website, then please reach out. We love hearing from you, so do get in touch. And until next time, keep on rocking.